Just as a reminder of where we are, Habakkuk uh, opens the book and he is praying that God will bring revival. And the Lord says he'll bring revival through the Babylonian invasion. This, of course, turns the prophet into a bit of a tailspin. Uh, He's very concerned about um, this decision of the Lord's. And so he brings his complaint before God and asks how he can use a wicked nation such as Babylon uh, to do this. And then he waits for God's answer. And tonight, uh, we will hear his answer. Habakkuk chapter 2, we're going to be considering verses 6 through 20, but we'll start at verse 1. Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, this is God's holy word. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. 
What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we would ask for your help as we think about this text that you have given us this evening to consider. You yourself say that uh, it has riddles within it. Lord, it is a prophecy that sits before us. We would ask that you would help us to understand. We would ask that you would speak to us. And Lord, we aren't merely interested in just learning the historical nature of the text, though we want to learn that. Lord, we want to know how to apply the text in our lives as well. And so we pray that you would search us, that you would search our hearts, our minds, that you would search our circumstances, and that you would bring all of these things together uh, for each one this evening. Lord, would you help us? We'd ask that you would hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. People are curious about their genealogy. I know I am. I've been wanting to do one of those uh, DNA tests. And there are several companies that can help you uh, build a family tree by analyzing your DNA. And my understanding is that most of these companies are super serious about protecting your privacy, but some offer the option uh, to make your information available to law enforcement. And this has resulted in a growing database of DNA information that's helped identify suspects and victims in hundreds of unresolved cases. For instance, law enforcement was finally able to identify a serial killer who had committed his crimes between 1974 and 1968, or uh, 1986, and then went silent. On April 24, 2018, authorities charged 72-year-old Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. with eight counts of first-degree murder. He was the Golden State Killer. And in August of 2020, D'Angelo was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. This judgment didn't take away the pain and it didn't answer all of the questions, but it did bring some sense of justice and peace to the victims. In Habakkuk 2, 6 through 20, God passes judgment on the Babylonians. Uh, They won't get away with their crimes against Judah. They won't get away with their sin. God pronounces woe upon them. You see that in verses 6, 9, 12, 15, and 19. And this judgment won't answer all of Habakkuk's questions, but it brings some sense of justice and peace. So as we meditate on this passage, we're going to ask ourselves what this text 
says about judgment. What can we learn? You learn that God will bring justice and that you need to flee to Christ. So let's begin looking at our text. We're going to start with our first heading, which is judgment is mounting. Judgment is mounting. In Habakkuk chapter 1, the prophet sought the Lord in prayer, uh, asking him to intercede and bring revival to Judah. Uh, They were in a quick uh, moral downward spiral. They were on a quick decline. And the Lord answered the prophet and told him that the Babylonians were going to invade Judah and that this would bring about repentance and revival. Well, Habakkuk didn't like that answer at all. It's not what he wanted to hear. How could God do this? This, These were the questions he had. How could he use the Babylonians, an evil empire, to bring Judah to repentance? How is that just? The prophet brought these questions before the Lord in prayer. And the Lord answered. He said, write my words down, Habakkuk. Mark my words. They will not fail. Everything I've promised will be fulfilled. He tells him, if it seems slow, wait for it. The Lord told Habakkuk, the righteous righteous shall live by his faith. That is, the righteous shall live trusting the Lord, believing his promises, submitting to his word. And regarding Babylon, the Lord says that their greatness will be short-lived. Verse 6 says, Shall not all of these take up their taunt against him? with scoffing and riddles for him. That is, shall not all of the victims take up this taunt against Babylon with scoffing? Well, they will. What will they say? They'll say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoil for them. Do you see what's happening here? God says that the sin of the Babylonians is piling up like debt to be collected. It's mounting. Their sin is mounting. The Babylonians were greedy, bloodthirsty thieves. They continued to conquer nation after nation. They had hordes of stolen goods plundered from helpless people. And God uses financial language to paint a picture for us of what is happening here. Do you see the end of verse 6 where it says, Babylon loads himself with pledges. That word pledges could also be just translated debt. They're loading themselves up with debt. It's as if the Babylonians keep taking out loans that they're going to have to eventually pay back. Some of us get ourselves into financial trouble with credit cards, don't we? Um, People tend to buy things that they can't afford. They keep buying things as if they're never going to have to pay for them. And when they finally get overwhelmed with their debt, they start using credit cards to pay off credit cards. And eventually the gig is up and the creditors cut them off And when that happens, the creditors turn them over to collection agents. And what's next? Relentless phone calls, lawsuits, 
judgments, liens, cars repossessed, homes foreclosed, bankruptcy, ruin. The sins of the Babylonians were accumulating before God and judgment is coming. God says that the Babylonians will become the victims. And this isn't just true of Babylon. The same is true for each and every one of us. Every time you sin, it's like you're swiping your credit card. It may appear that sin is free, that you're getting away with it, but that isn't the case. Every single sin will be paid for. Every single one. The only question is, who will pay for it? You or Jesus? Romans chapter 2 says that the judgment of God will fall upon those who refuse to repent and believe the gospel. In verse 5 of Romans 2, unbelievers are told, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Scripture is absolutely clear that God is perfect in his judgment. We may imagine there's something about us that will persuade God to make an exception. Our intelligence, our position, the families we come from, the many acts of kindness. But apart from the blood of Christ, he will not be moved. The sins of the Babylonians were accumulating before God, and judgment is coming. God says the Babylonians will become the victims. Babylon plundered other nations, but she herself will be plundered. You see, sin creates debt, and debt will be paid. Judgment can't be escaped. That is our second heading. Judgment can't be escaped. The Babylonians murdered thousands and stole lands and goods to build their empire, uh, an empire that glorified themselves and would assure their safety. Their goal was security. They wanted to be untouchable, like an eagle who builds its nest high on the face of a mountain so that no one will be able to harm it. In verse 9, God says, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. The Babylonians wanted to be invincible, so they annihilated other nations. But in harming others, they put their own lives in jeopardy with the Almighty. Their sin was crying out against them. It was being shouted aloud. Verse 11 says, For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. You see, you can't hide your sin from God. He knows everything. When Cain killed Abel, God asked, What have you done? What have you done? 
The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Do you think God is unaware of injustice? Sin shouts for God. It waves its arms to him. It calls his name. It whistles for him. God is aware of sin. In verse 15, God says, Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at nakedness. Now, we don't want to make a mistake here. Don't make the mistake of taking this language too literal. The careful student of the Bible recognizes that we're dealing with prophecy and that this language is symbolic. God said in verse 6 that he had a a riddle, didn't he? And we saw something of that even in the sermon this morning when the Lord Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. The Lord sometimes uses symbolic language and he does so here. Scripture uses the picture of drinking the cup of wrath. It's a picture of judgment. And we see that clearly in passages like Jeremiah twenty-five fifteen. And nakedness sometimes speaks of the devastating effects of a military invasion, like we see in Isaiah 47, verses 1 through 3. Babylon was making nations drink their wrath, and it was visible. It was visible like a drunken man or like nakedness. In verse 16, God tells Babylon, You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. Well, circumcision is the sign of covenant membership, right? It meant that you were a member of the ancient church. This is saying, show, you will show that you are unbelievers. Consider the last sentence in verse 16. It says, the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around you and utter shame will come upon your glory. God says, you think you're untouchable, Babylon. You want to be invincible, but you'll have shame instead of glory. You're going to drink my wrath because of your sin and unbelief. Babylon, you trust in vain things. You trust in your military prowess. You think that your wealth and that your success is going to build you an impenetrable kingdom. And you think that your gods will save you. You're wrong. In verse 18, God says, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing awake or to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath in it. God says, woe to you, Babylon. You think you're benefiting from the protection of your gods, but they're not real. You know, Americans living in the 21st century, as Americans living in the 21st century, we tend to look at this kind of idolatry we see amongst the ancient and kind of chuckle, right? How foolish. 
I mean, it seems incredible that people could have looked at a figurine and found comfort and security. But we are just as foolish. Infatuated with knowledge and self, we've made an idol out of science. Evolution has become the false god of our generation. We use it to try to quiet our conscience. We comfort each other and say, you've only got one life. Do whatever makes you happy. Don't worry about the God of Bible. Everything that you've seen came from bacteria. When you die, that's it. There's no judgment. You're safe. We moderns are just as foolish as the ancients. We've just become more sophisticated at designing our false gods. What is idolatry? Romans says that it is worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. It's valuing people and things and experiences more than God. It's choosing to follow yourself as king rather than the Lord. The Babylonians had a false sense of security. Their hope of escaping God's judgment was in vain. Sin creates debt. Debt will be paid. And payment is made to God. Judgment is delivered by God. That's our third heading. Judgment is delivered by God. Well, the Babylonians, they built their empire by the blood of their victims. Their, their society itself was built on bloodshed. New cities were built by their conquest. They exploited their prisoners of war and they used them for slave labor in order to build. Babylon was an architectural marvel in the ancient world, but it was doomed to be destroyed. Verse 12 says, Woe to him! who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. The Lord is in complete control, and he says that he's going to pour out his judgment on Babylon. All their effort of building and self-glorification will be of no lasting value and will literally go up and smoke. Verse 13 says, Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? You see, God says, your sinful efforts are for nothing, Babylon. You've built all these cities only to be fuel for the fire. I'm going to raise up another nation to bring judgment against you. And when they come, your newly built cities will be destroyed and burned. But there is another way. There's another way. Look at the contrast we see in verse 14. The Lord says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God promises that the nations, that nations will rise and fall, but that the kingdom of God will have no end. The prophets foretold of a promised one who would come and who would establish his kingdom on earth. 
They said that this kingdom would grow and grow and grow until it filled the whole earth. And of course, they were speaking of the Lord Jesus. The New Testament refers to the gospel as the gospel of glory. Glory, of course, speaks of splendor and greatness. 2 Corinthians says that the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus. It says that Christ is the image of God. Hebrews says that Jesus is the brightness of the Father's glory and the express image of his person. Jesus himself said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Earlier, we talked about needing to be aware of the Bible's use of symbolic language. We talked about the symbolic language used in verses 15 and 16. I said that Scripture uses a picture of drinking from the cup as a picture of judgment. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Christian, Jesus is speaking of drinking the cup of God's wrath for your sin. The cup had your name on it. In his humanity, Jesus was afraid. Yes, there would be mocking and slapping and scourging a crown of thorns and a cross. But more than that, there would be the infinite wrath of God poured out upon him at Calvary. For what? For you. We talked about judgment mounting like that. Every time you sin, it's like swiping your credit card. It may appear that sin is free, but that isn't the case Every sin will be paid for. Again, the question is, who will pay for it? You or Jesus? Do you desire eternal life, forgiveness of sin? How do you obtain it? Through faith. Believe. Turn from your sin and follow Jesus as Lord. Otherwise, like the Babylonians, the cup of God's wrath will be yours to drink. In Daniel chapter 5, the prophet tells his readers about the night that Babylon fell. The king of Babylon was having a great feast and a hand appeared and it wrote on the wall. And that same night, the Babylonian king was slain and the Mede Darius began to rule. Cyrus II of Persia then captured the city in 539 BC without a fight and the exiles of Judah returned to their homeland the next year. The Babylonians were unable to escape God's judgment. Their money couldn't save them. Their great military was of no use, and their gods were found to be false, a self-deception. Consider verse 20. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. God says, Let all the earth keep silent. This isn't just a silence of reverence. It's a silence of acceptance of the judgment of God against a nation for its sins. 
God assured Habakkuk that he was on the throne and that everything was under his control. He wants the prophet to live by faith. And receiving this answer from the Lord makes a tremendous difference in the prophet's life. God was transforming Habakkuk from a worrier to a worshiper. In Habakkuk 2, 6-20, God passes judgment on the Babylonians. They won't, get, they won't get away with their crimes against Judah. Uh, this judgment didn't answer all of Habakkuk's questions, but it assured him that God was in control and would bring justice. And it gave Habakkuk peace. We asked what this passage said about judgment. And we learned that God will bring justice. You can count on it. And we learned that sin is like debt that must be paid and that the payment will be made to God. Therefore, you ought to flee to Christ who paid for the sins of his people. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for your warnings. And we are grateful for the Lord Jesus who has made a way of escape, a free pardon given to each of us. And yet, Lord, many of us have family and friends and co-workers and fellow students who are not saved. And judgment is coming. Lord, we would ask that you would help us. We have prayed for it even this day. A national holiday is amongst us. We will be amongst friends and family in these days. Would you help us? Would you give us boldness that we wouldn't keep silence, but yet would you give us wisdom that we would speak aright? Lord, help us to be faithful, to spread the seeds of the gospel everywhere we can, as often as we can do it. We'd ask, Lord, that you would hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.